come from Earth, a planet of outlaws. My name is Peter Quill. There's one other name you might know me by. Star-Lord. Who? Well, Star-Lord, man. Legendary outlaw. Guys? Forget it. So here we are, a thief, two thugs, an assassin, and a maniac. But we're not going to stand by as evil wipes out the galaxy. I guess we're stuck together, partners. Are you telling me the fate of 12 billion people is in the hands of these criminals? Oh, yeah. Lifespan, anyway. themselves the guardians of the galaxy this might not be the best idea i was gonna say that well, you're a little loud but i actually i think it may be my setting so i'm just gonna turn you down in my head and then hopefully that's <laughs> i try you know what? i find that that's a regular occurrence people try to turn me down in their head <laughs> can you guys Stop. hear me yeah i can yes hear <laughs> jesus <laughs> all too much <laughs> Just, Did you, stay, uh, just kidding. Stay, stay the guy's house, and he's like, "Oh, I've had it with you." Oh. <laughs> How you doing, man? Can't good, understand. good. You got a new headset? I, I actually, I'm using a little set of earphones for my ears. It's a new microphone. Oh, you the sound snowball. Ooh, you got a snowball? I got a snowball. I could snowball's chance filthy. in hell. Yeah, I could make the filthiest joke right now, but I'm just gonna let it let it lie. I, I got snowballs. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen um, um, uh, what you call it, um, Clerks, right? Yes. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say. Okay. Oh, I believe it's everybody's <laughs> imagination from that point forward, because we're because we we are into the show already because we don't we have a, a time limitation and we're not wasting any recording. Oh, oh, you're not messing around. No, no, no. Scott turns into a pumpkin. That's right. Even but more than usual. It's not so much that I'm worried about turning into a pumpkin as I'm seriously worried about turning into, like, a coma victim. Because, dude, I have not slept in weeks, I swear to God. And I'm, I'm so 
loopy right now from lack of sleep. So I, I'm seriously, as soon as this is over, I'm I'm taking some Nyquil, and my ass is going to try to get a solid eight for a change because I'm I've just had it with this uh, not sleeping thing. I feel I feel for you, brother. The uh, Monday night, my daughter went to see One Direction over at uh, the MetLife Stadium, and I didn't. I was lucky enough to not have to go, but I, you know, obviously <laughs> I waited up for her. Right. She got home at two in the morning. And I had to get up at six the next day. I have not quite recovered yet. Oh, that's brutal. Especially for something just so, so horrible. You know, it'd be yeah, different if you, you were getting well, up. Well, to- if you were a 14-year-old girl, you'd feel differently. You know, there's not many 14-year-old girls I, you know, who are out there I, listening so to John things- Williams. <laughs> so many responses went through my head, and I'm just going to let that go, too. <laughs> let it go. Oh, shut up. <laughs> you didn't like... Uh, Frozen? No, I did not. I haven't I, even seen Frozen. I, I actually really enjoyed it. I'm surprised. Oh, God. Here we go again. No, I'm not arguing with you. I, no, you no, know. no. It's not that you're arguing with me. That, no, that's not that's not it at all. It's that He's, every... It, it, it's, it's like Dark Knight all over again, man. It's like everybody I've talked to is like, really? You didn't like it? I'm like, no, I didn't. But, but you know... I mean, you know me well enough at this point. You know you don't like it. I respect that opinion. I got no issue with that. <laughs> I didn't see it, but you don't respect my opinion, so it doesn't matter. No, well, you're different. This is very true. Yeah, you're different. I mean, it's it's a given. I don't know why I'm taking cheap shots at Bill tonight. Bill's Bill was so much fun uh, being here this this past weekend. We we got to hang out and we spent time at Conjure together. And he gave up. Um, I'm just gonna say it. He gave up a much better con. Yeah, yeah. We were talking the other you, night. So. <laughs> Oh, but oh, I got that so just... phone call on Saturday night. Hey, I got a free pass to Tampa Bay oh, Comic Con. Oh, 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 don't tell me that. But uh, <sighs> I'll tell you why you're picking on Bill. Because you can. Yeah, he's, he's an easy target. I have to. Be that's mad. that's that's become our our uh, the, the the focus of our show now for the last year or so. <laughs> I got feelings, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just like any other comic foil. <laughs> Bills ain't got no feelings. They made a rubber. <laughs> Bonus points if you get what that reference is to. Back to the bin. Uh oh, who's doing an annual? That's gonna take all night. No, it's, no, it's no, Bill, no. and you know he's really it's a, fast. No, it's a lot of <laughs> it's it's a lot of. Tom's not in it, is he? No. Well, somebody does take the con of a ship, so yeah, it's gonna slow uh, me. Ah, okay. All right, give me we, just a second because I think I do have. Oh, Captain this is a Ronin book. That's interesting. You know what's yeah. funny? Yeah. You know it's funny. We did three books. Bill's has got the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mine's got Guardians of the Galaxy. Yours does not. You have the only book that has a character from the movie. Well, actually, technically, Bill has Yandu. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yandu. Yandu's from uh, Bill. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, 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 <coughs> you already brought it in already. Now, who brought it well, in? Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spataro, and I am joined today by Scott H. Gardner and Dr. Bill Robinson. How you guys doing? <laughs> oh, I forgot, man. I was, man. I was at Forget Scott's house. I, 
I should have been like rooting through your mail trying to find out your middle name. Damn it. <laughs> Why? So you could share it live and on the nah, show and I, all that? I wouldn't do that. Unless it's like, you know, something that's so hideous that I would just like freeze the stone as soon as I saw it or something. <laughs> it's pretty rough. This is very true. Uh, uh, let's see. So did you say I have the first one on this? Yeah, as it turns out, you got the earliest release date of the three. But right. let's let's hold on. We didn't, you know, we didn't get into this yet. Oh, okay. Let's, let's right. just, let me right. introduce what we're doing. Here. <laughs> well, I just, you know, you I know. wasn't letting any 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 moss grow on me, you know. Yeah, clearly not. <laughs> yeah, that's so. true. We don't even we haven't even told him what we're doing yet. You're, yeah, you're right. exactly. Sorry, I'm jumping the He's gun. He's into it. You you know, I want well, a little this... a little warm up here first. You know, we got to make sure that this is not a coattails writing episode. This is a raccoon tail writing episode. <laughs> So. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> but uh, yes, this is our raccoon tail writing <laughs> obligatory blah 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 episode of Guardians of the Galaxy. Unfortunately, unfortunately for all of you listeners, you will be hearing very little about characters from the movie, though. Oh. Uh, but all three of us have seen the movie now. I went on Sunday night. And I loved it. Excellent. Mm. See, I was, I was all, you know, at this, I got to be honest with you, I, I was totally prepared to just like, if, if we di- didn't have comics or we didn't bring enough comics, I'm, I'm here just to talk about the movie, I'll be honest with you. I loved it as well. Seen it twice already. I know Bill's seen it twice. I love the mm-hmm. hell out of it, man. I want to go see it again, as a matter of fact. So, yes. Yeah, I was trying to go see it a third time. But the, the wife's like, really? You're going to see that again? Oh, uh, okay. I oh, do maybe I won't. disagree with you slightly in that I didn't think the 3D was really absolutely necessary. It didn't take away from it, which makes it leaps and bounds better than most 3D. You're, you're not the only one I've heard that from. I, I had a friend of mine who was kind of chiding me today, and she said, you know, I went to see this in 3D just because you said to see it in 3D. And she goes, and while I love the movie, she goes, the 3D was completely unnecessary. So... You know, you're you're not the only one. Part of the reason that I went to see it in 3D the second time is that when Bill and I saw it the first time and we saw it in 3D, I was like, well, I, I, I can't go see it now and not see it 3D because it just won't be the same. So I, I've seen it in 3D both times. But if I do, if I am lucky enough to see it a third time, I actually want to go see it in IMAX. So we'll, we'll see if yeah, that actually happens. The IMAX theater that I have here, and I suspect that most people have the same... Uh, same type of experience. The, the IMAX theater is really just a larger screen. It's not that huge, you're part of the event kind of feeling. I, there's, there's an actual IMAX theater where I saw some sort of documentary about race cars. It was nom- uh, narrated by Kiefer Sutherland that it was made as an IMAX movie. And that right. was not necessarily the subject matter I wanted to see, but it was awesome because you really did feel like you know like you were immersed in it. Now the regular multiplexes have added their IMAX, you know, screens right. uh, as part of their multiplex. And I find it's not the same experience. It's just a slightly larger screen with the 3D and maybe, I'm not even sure, maybe a slightly better sound system. Hmm. So I don't know that it's worth paying nearly double the ticket price for that. Right. So I, I plan to avoid the whole IMAX experience pretty much. Unless I get free passes or something to that effect. 
Well, that was the whole thing for for Bill and I. Our first viewing was actually a, a preview viewing that we got to go to, so that was pretty sweet. And you know, I was not about to be one to look a gift horse in the mouth, so I would have taken whatever showing they gave us, but they they happened to give us the three D plus swag, so that was yeah, pretty, that was very I, cool. I like that. that and cool. and overall, I, I you know, I was talking to uh, well, talking. I was going back and forth with messages with the. Uh, with Sean and Andy today, and we were uh, just talking about movies in general. And what I suggested, and it came from a conversation that I had with another friend, but we're all in agreement now, is that we're basically at the point now where we can't say this is the best movie, that's the best movie, or anything to that effect, because there are just so many really good movies out there. Oh, yeah. Now, it's, it's, I, I've taken to just saying, you know, basically giving it a letter grade. Uh, is it an A, B, C, D, or F? And we were going through the Marvel movies, and basically I came up with, as far as I'm concerned, every Marvel movie is either an A or a B. <laughs> they haven't even done anything that would reach the level of C yet. Because when I thought about it, for, you know, when I started trying to put them in, into, those, into, into those categories, I was going to rate one of the movies as a C, and I won't even say which, but I was going to rate one as a C, and then I thought about, like, if I was just doing all comic book movies as opposed to Marvel movies, and what would go in the C category, and the movie, the Marvel movie I was going to put in the C category, I was like, this is far better than those. So this is a B. The only way, the only way you get Cs on a Marvel scale, as far as I'm concerned, is if you start grading on a curve. Right. So everything's an A or a B, and as far as I'm concerned, Guardians is an A. Most definitely. Most a. definitely. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I enjoyed it, and it's one of those movies where I walked out. I mean, there's this basically three different experiences. Sometimes I walk out, and what I thought of the movie is what I continue to think of it. Sometimes I walk out, and I start thinking about it. And I think, you know what? That was not nearly as good as I thought. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm poking all these holes in it, and it was entertaining, but it's never going to hold up. And once in a while the best of the of the group and i think this one fits the category the more i thought about it the more i liked it the more i started thinking things were clever and that they were mm -hmm. well put together and and well uh directed well shown well written the whole deal so i'm looking forward to the next time i can see it because i think this movie will have legs i'm very glad to hear so many other people comparing it to star wars and and specifically to the first time they saw the original star wars because when I first made that comparison myself, I'm, I was thinking to myself, am I going too far? Am I putting too much on this? And then having seen the movie again and seen so many other people saying the same thing, I'm like, no, no, I really don't think I am. I think that was a valid reaction. It really did make me feel like that little nine-year-old watching Star Wars again for the very first time. And that's awesome. That is not a feeling I ever expected to feel again. So that that's... You know, that's the level it hit me at. I I just love the hell out of it. I think it's great. I do too. Yeah. But I am seeing a little trend on the internet that I don't like. And I think you could I think you could uh relate to it with your Dark Knight uh experience. Because mm -hmm. I am seeing, you know, I you know, uh, you know, we just went through this. I believe everybody's entitled to their opinion. You like something that's great, you don't like something that's fine too. The people who saw this and aren't raving about it are catching some slack from people, and I, and I don't like that. You know, uh, you know it, that's funny because I haven't seen anybody not like it yet, so that's really weird. I, I actually uh, I can't relate because I, I just haven't seen any of those uh, those posts or anything. 
but uh, I won't uh, I won't pig pile on them just because they have a different opinion. I'll just quietly think that I'm you know that they're insane, but I, I won't actually say anything about it. But no, I I I know what you mean. I hope that people don't uh, you know don't pile on them just because they have a difference of opinion. I, that's not cool. But yeah, that's weird because I I haven't. I mean, every single person I've talked to from hardcore comic geeks to you know, stay-at-home moms that could give a you know a crap less about comics. Everybody I know that has seen it has loved it, absolutely loved it. So I haven't heard a single uh, serious criticism at all. And you know me, I'm I'm you know I'm the guy that usually, no matter how awesome it is, I'll find something. And I didn't. I I really can't find anything with it. And and I I actually kind of tried the second time around. I'm like. All right, I'm I'm really like Gaga over this movie. There's got to be something in here that I don't like, and I I can't think of anything. Uh, I the, the biggest top the bottom. I loved it. Biggest criticism I was able to come up with, and it really didn't hurt the movie for me at all, uh, is that Yandu isn't really Yandu. He's right. He's, yeah. He's yeah. he's he's Blue Merle. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny because Bill, Bill's. Uh, I imagine Bill's laughing because he and I had the same exact conversation. Yeah. It's Blue Merle. You it know, didn't hurt the movie. Sounds a lot me, like Blue but. Milk from Star Wars, actually. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he is. He's Blue Merle, and that's it. But that, you know, that's fine. I like, I like, my, you know, Michael. Uh, what's his name? Rooker. Michael Rooker. 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 I like yeah. him, and I liked uh, Merle. So pff, that's fine. Yeah, I was okay. And, you know, with that. It's I, not I, like Yandu was a much loved character. Exactly. To speak of. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is like, frankly, I could give a rat's ass about Yandu. And hearing that Yondu was going to be in the movie originally, way back when, when that, whenever that was dropped, that that he was going to be, kind of took it down a level for me. I was like, really? Because I kind of fell in love with comic book guardians, but you know the the incarnation we're seeing in the movie. So then when I heard that Yondu was going to be in it, I was like, uh, does that mean the original guardians are going to be in it? Because I I gotta be honest, I kind of think they suck. I wouldn't have so, mind seeing some Easter eggs of them. That's, I'm not even saying have them in yeah. just Easter eggs. I would have liked well, that. Well, the way the movie played out, and um, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'll just say spoiler. If you don't want to be spoiled on things from the movie, then just fast forward. But if they had managed to work the original Guardians in as an homage, much the way that we have that brief little scene showing one of the Celestials, I, yeah, that I would have actually geeked out about. I think that would have been cool. But I just didn't want to see them be like characters in the movie, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I didn't no, want I, I know exactly to be what you're saying. like integral to the plot or anything like that. Because again, I just I'm just not really crazy about those guys. But that's me. I I did fear as I was watching it and sitting there with this huge stupid grin on my face. <laughs> uh, I feared that my knowledge of the source material made me was 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 what was making me enjoy it so much. And those fears were quickly resolved as soon as the movie was over. And I talked to my daughter, who has no knowledge of the source material, and loved it. See, that's so my the... son. Yeah, my son. Lo- lo- he he lo- he hasn't read any Guardians, old or new, so he loved it as well. Yeah. My and, I, and a spoiler thing. I I probably missed about five lines in the movie because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> and this is a spoiler moment. But when. Uh, when when Drax started talking about how how he was so happy to have them as friends, right? And he turns to Gamora and he says, "The Green Whore is now my friend." <laughs> I just cracked up laughing. I couldn't stop. So many good one-liners, but I, I think that's I think that's the magic trick that this movie really pulls off is that if you're a hardcore fanboy who's read the source material who knows who these guys are and gets all the easter eggs you're gonna love it 
if you're the noob walking in that has no friggin' idea who anybody is in this movie, you're you're given enough that it works. You know, you you get just enough of the of the character bios and the backstory and everything to follow it, and it moves like a Star Wars movie. It moves like the original Star Wars did, and you're able to follow it, and you're able to just have fun. That's a hell of a feat to pull off, and I think this movie pulled it off masterfully. I think that's one of the real strengths of this, is that anybody uh, can pick this up and watch it. And that you can't always say that of comic book movies. Sometimes they're a little steeped in their own mythos a little too much for anybody to be accessible to it and and this one doesn't have that problem i i don't know anybody uh who who's told me that you know i i just couldn't follow it or eh, you know i just didn't know what the hell was going on no everybody i've talked to and most of them have told me you know i went to see this because you said you know go see i had to see it and i didn't know who the hell these guys were and i loved it i thought it was great and you know tell me more about the characters kind of thing so i think that's cool i think that's very exciting I think that's a fair comment, but I would also go out to expand that to say, with the exception of, you know, Captain America 1 to Captain America 2, Iron Man 1 to 2 to 3, except for the sequel nature of them, I don't think any movies in the Marvel Studios films require you to have a pre-existing knowledge of the characters at all. Yeah, you know, now that you say that, that I, yeah, I think that's a fair I comment. I think they've done a really, really good job of... What I've been talking about for years with these movies, they've made sure consistently that they have good scripts. Right. And, and that's, I, I think that's the single most important thing. It's more important than the special effects, and it's more important even than the acting and the casting, although they've hit it out of the park with that pretty much routinely. I agree. Well, are we ready to go ahead and dive into this sucker? All right, let's uh, let's get to our homage to the Guardians. <laughs> now, I specifically picked the book that I picked because, for one, it, it has a tie to the Guardians movie. Um, this one has one of the characters. This was the character. I'll, I'll be honest with you. This was probably my biggest trepidation going into the movie. Is that I knew this character was going to be the villain. I knew he was going to be the big bad. And I thought that that was strange only because while I've known about him for a long time, my knowledge of him was very vague and, and you know, very just kind of I, I knew who he was without knowing who he was, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So as I've read my, my, all my f uh, familiarity with the cosmic characters, for the most part, especially the Guardians themselves, comes from. Um, Annihilation and forward, you know, Annihilation, Annihilation, Conquest, War of Kings, uh, Realm of Kings, and all that stuff. So in that storyline, starting all the way back with Annihilation, Ronan the Accuser is a hero. He's essentially on a hero's journey, and he becomes a hero right up into a point where he becomes one of the Annihilators, which is a team of cosmic-level heroes. So to me, Ronan is a good guy. He's a hero. And so knowing that he was going to be in the movie and that he was going to be the villain of the piece, I wasn't sure how that would play for me. I wasn't sure how I would feel about that because I really have come to like Ronan, you know, comic book Ronan, a lot as a hero. So I specifically picked this book because it shows on the cover. By the way, it's a really beautiful cover by uh, Al Milgram and Steve Lealoha. 
of Ronan swinging his hammer and belting the bejesus out of Captain Marvel. <laughs> and it just says, unleash this, unleashed this issue. It says, the power uh, fear and fury of Ronan the Accuser. And just by the way it looked, I figured, well, it kind of looks like Ronan's filling a, a villain role here. So let me read this and see what it's all about. Because I do know enough about him to know that originally he, he was a bad guy. Or at least, you know, he, he was often set against the heroes. So I kind of wanted to read something more from his backstory as opposed to something more current day and, and the way he's portrayed these days. So the writer, writer on this is Scott Edelman. Uh, again, the uh, pencer, penciler in this and the interiors, uh, just like the covers, Al Milgram. Terry Austin is the inker, and that's as much as I'm going to go into the credits on this because I want to kind of keep it short. Uh, the story call, is called Asylum Earth, and it starts off, and Captain Marvel has had enough of Rick Jones, and he blasts him with whatever the kind of blast is that, uh, that Captain Marvel used. It basically looks like he's shooting like sparkles out of his fingers, I always thought. He's blasting, <laughs> he's blasting Rick Jones, and Rick Jones is flying uh, backwards and through a portal that projects him back into the negative zone. And there, Rick Jones ends up uh, coming up against all these cosmic bad guys. Uh, you got Annihilus, you've got the Sentry, the Supremor, who I didn't know who the hell that guy was, but he's super creepy. You've got uh, Ronan the Accuser, and you've got Nitro. And By the way, just a little side note, isn't Nitro the guy that uh, that set yep. off the whole Civil War thing? And, yeah. and also caused the cancer in Captain Marvel. Yeah. Oh, that's right! Yeah, because you oh. cracked the canister of nerve gas. That uh, I forgot about that. That's right. So they all pig pile on uh, on Rick, and they're trying to take him out. And Rick suddenly, inexplic inexplicably, gets like superpowers, and he throws them all off. And he's battling oh, no, through. He says, hmm? "I'm Rick Jones, bitch." <laughs> and he throws everybody off, and uh, then he passes out. Turns out this is a dream. So he actually passed out in his dream to wake up in reality, which I thought was really odd. He wakes up and he doesn't know where the hell he is. He realizes he's naked. And then all of a sudden this girl comes in. So it's a very back to the future moment. That, that's my Years dream. before back to the future. <laughs> I wake up naked and the girl comes in. <laughs> Her name is Dr. Tara. And they have a little conversation. And essentially she says, uh, we rescued you. And we rescued you because we need Captain Marvel. Turns out she knows all about, um, I was going to say Rick's secret identity, but it's not so much a secret identity thing. This was at a time when Rick and Captain Marvel had this weird relationship where because of the nega bands that they both wore, whenever they would clang the bands together, they would actually switch places. So while Rick is here in the real world, Captain Marvel is trapped in the negative zone. And whenever they clang the bands, they just switch places. So it turns out that she is actually a Cree scientist in disguise uh, stationed here on Earth. Or actually, she's stranded here on Earth. Uh, she and another dude that's with her, and his name is um, Macron, which I thought was a really strange name. I thought it would actually be cooler if it was Macaroni, but anyway. So Would he have a feather in his cap? <laughs> after a scene that kind of looks like maybe they get it on behind closed doors, I wasn't oh, really sure. Oh, come on. What do you mean, kind of? Well, it, was, it, was, it wasn't completely obvious, but it was kind of obvious. Hand so, on the leg, by the crotch. I need to discuss <laughs> something with you in private. The door slams and clicks, and next it's breakfast. Yeah, so, this is true. Hmm. 
Breakfast with Princess Leia, by the way. Old so they go downstairs, Leia. and uh, and she introduces him to Macron, who is also a uh, a Cree in disguise. And it pretty much gets they get right to the point. Macron kind of blows their cover by saying, "Look, uh, no offense, we need Captain Marvel. Uh, we need his power. Ronan's about to get loose on Earth." So it turns out that these guys. Uh, you know, like I say, they're Cree. They had captured uh, Ronan, and then somehow or other, they end up crashing on Earth. So their concern is that as their ship loses power or something, that Ronan's going to get free, and then they're going to have trouble. You know, because Ronan's free on Earth. So Rick, he's kind of pissed off about this, and he's kind of tired of hearing about how nobody really wants him. All everybody ever wants is Captain Marvel. So he clangs his negabands well, together. Well. Yeah, exactly. And then Captain Marvel's on the scenes. Captain Marvel flies to the down spaceship, and along the way, he ends up encountering the Sentry and this ridiculous-looking villain called the Cheetah. Now, I didn't even know Marvel had a Cheetah. I knew DC had a Cheetah that fights Wonder Woman, but I didn't know about this guy. This guy is like like one of them furry face guys that you see from the sideshows. Well, he could be uh, one of the, uh, what's the, the the Imperial Guard. He looks, remember that guy from the mm, Omega yeah. Men? What was his name? Ty, Tiger or whatever? Yeah, t- or Tigger? Tigger? Yeah. Or Tiger? Tigger. Yeah. He yeah. looks like a cross. <laughs> the wonderful thing like about Tiger. He looks like a cross between uh, Tiger and Wilford Brimley wearing like Karate Kid's outfit. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He's so stupid. <laughs> so. diabetes. <laughs> He fights them, and in the meantime, while they're distracting him, Ronan breaks free. And there is some excellent fighting stuff going on with uh, with Ronan. Now, apparently Ronan has caught some disease. I forget what the hell they call it here. I meant to make a note of it, but it doesn't really matter. Conan, uh, Ronan has caught some disease that makes him go all bonkers. And he and Captain Marvel throw down. In the course of the battle... Ronan fires off a shot that actually takes out Dr. Terra and apparently kills her. And at that point, Captain Marvel just completely loses his shit and he takes down Ronan. And the the finale of the story just sees Ronan. He's been cold cocked. He's laying on the ground and all of a sudden he starts maniacally laughing. And that's basically the end of the story. And it was bizarre. I kind of had some trouble following what the hell was going on with this I, I get the feeling it's part of a larger story that I just didn't I wasn't able to grasp enough of I liked it I thought the art was really good but it it wasn't it wasn't great and the thing that kept me from from really getting into it a little bit better is the same problem I have with every Captain Marvel story I want to like this guy I think he has an interesting backstory I think he's sort of important in the in the Marvel cosmic scheme of things. He's certainly referenced enough these days, even though he's been dead for a good number of years now. But every time I actually read one of his original stories, I have the same reaction every time. He's kind of boring. He just he doesn't have much of a personality. He's kind of he's kind of a blank slate. And so they didn't give him much of a personality and and it doesn't help. So his adventures come off feeling very much like the very common criticism I hear about Superman, that he's just kind of white bread and personality-less. Now, when you apply that to Superman, I totally don't agree. 
when you apply it to this guy, I kind of have to agree. He just doesn't seem to have much of a personality. And that's a shame because you've got a book with, you know, populated with some really good characters. You've got a very interesting villain. Cap's power set is definitely very cool. He's doing the whole Billy Batson thing with uh, with Rick Jones. Rick Jones is he's annoying, but he's interesting. Rick's definitely got interesting connections in that, you know, he had his origins in the Hulk. He was once Captain America's partner and all this other stuff. So you've got enough interesting stuff. It's just somehow with all these interesting parts, it doesn't come together to make an interesting whole. And that's a shame because it should have been better than it actually was. But I don't know. That was my reaction to it. What did you guys think? Can't argue Um, with you. You want to go first, Bill? Well, it looks to me from page 22 on that Jim Starlin finished this book. <laughs> no, because look at it. If you look back to like page 15 and look at the faces of the figures and then because 17 is pretty much just a, a big explosion. And then you come on page 22 with Ronan lives. And from there on out, I swear this is Jim Starlin. Especially, it, does look, it does look very Starlin influenced. I'll give you that. Yeah. It, no, I mean, it's almost like it totally changes. Like even the art, even the backgrounds, it just looks. It looks like Jim Starlin finished the last few pages of this book. That's a good but, call because I I see exactly what you're talking about. I mean, especially on the last, like like the last page where she's unconscious, right there. Right. That looks like a Starlin figure. Uh, or, or I'm I, looking at, at the layout of uh, page 27, uh, with Ronan at the top, the way they show that. Uh-huh. Uh, or at the bottom where they show, you know, Captain Marvel got the three slowly. Panels. Yeah, that is very, very Jim Stalin. I mean, it's got his eyes. I mean, usually the the facial features are, on his people are usually stretched out like that. They have a, like a longer face and their eyes are. I mean, I don't know. It's just weird. I looked in the front and there doesn't seem to be anything. That's no credit Stalin. at all to him. But to and, me. And, and this is after he left the book. I don't have a specific memory. But he probably had left Marvel at that point. Well, you know what? This does say that this is in the beginning that this is the second part of the Cheetah Century saga. So maybe he already had part of this drawn and somebody else drew the first half of this book. I, I don't know. I don't know. No, but it's then just, they would have credited him. They, I don't think. They, I guess. I don't know why it just looks so. It's just so different from the first part of the book. They just decided to try and. Sh- you know, maybe, maybe Milgram got the book halfway done and uh, who's the editor on this? Uh. Archie Goodwin, maybe Goodwin came over to him and said, hey, yo, you know, Al, what are you doing here? <laughs> let's yeah. let's go over a little bit more of that Stalin look. Mm, maybe. But, see, uh, I was looking to see when Stalin left off the book, and I, I want to say I think it was sometime in the 30s, but I'm looking here to see who inked him, and so far I'm not – because my, my thing I was going to venture was, well, maybe Austin is, is aping – Starlin, maybe maybe he inked Starlin on the on the earlier issues that were done by Starlin, but so far that's I'm not being borne well, out by looking at the credits but, here. So. But also the layouts are looking Starlin-esque in those pages, which the right. layouts wouldn't have anything to do with the inking. That's well, true. Although the first shot of Ronin on page 22 that you mentioned, Bill, it looks mm-hmm. like Ronin is uh, taking a moment from the movie and starting a dance-off. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it. Um, but uh, other than that, um, well, also on page sixteen, um, did somebody hit the cheetah in the nuts? 
You see him at the bottom of the page there? <laughs> yes. Ay, well, caramba! Well, uh, you know, uh, Marvel just flipped him off of him, so maybe he went into the tree. Uh... <laughs> I gotta go walkies. <laughs> Wilfred Brimley got hit in the Ghiblies. It's funny, when, when I looked at the artwork in this book, my first instinct was... And I've never been a huge Al Milgram fan. He's, he's a, a workman-like artist. I don't think he does spectacular work. But my first instinct was, if you look at the regular pages, just the regular pages of people, it's very pedestrian. But the more dynamic scenes, the battle scenes, the uh, super-powered character scenes are far better. Mm-hmm. But that was my initial instinct. But then the way you put it, it almost... Uh, it almost changes that perspective on it. I'm just paging through it a little bit. If you look on the top of page 23, it does look like Marvel's doing kind of a uh, ballet move. Yeah. I'm so pretty. And one of my biggest criticisms of the art is page 7. At the upper right, there's a shot of Rick Jones. And the only reason you could tell it's Rick Jones and not the girl is because they show a bare shoulder and he had no shirt on. <laughs> right. Yeah, <let's... laughs> He's got some Otherwise, it could easily hair. have been her. Yeah. Did you notice that Rick Jones's color scheme? Now, granted, it's the same colors as Cap, but when you look at, in, in particular, look at page 11, second panel, that's totally TV Billy Batson right there. He's got a <laughs> yellow shirt, he's got a red jacket, he's got the blue pants. I mean, that is the total color scheme of the TV Billy Batson. I, I just, I found that very funny because. The whole thing with him and the Nega bands and all that and switching places with Cap is an homage to the to the Golden Age Captain America anyway. So I, I th- or excuse me, Captain Marvel rather. I, I thought that was very interesting. And I, you know, I'm talking the the Shazam uh, yeah. Captain Mar- right. Uh, right. Captain Marvel. Now the whole thing about the Cap the Marvel Captain Marvel character is obviously he was created just to uh, just to kind of piss off DC and take the <laughs> uh, take the copyright and all of that, but. Right. He, I had once started a read through, and I started with his in, uh, his initial uh, introduction in Marvel Superheroes number twelve. He had two issues in there, and then uh, went to, went on to his own series. And I read it through, and I agree with you. He uh, he's a character I really want to like. He he had the potential to be a really good character, but they never really did develop his personality to speak of. Now right. the Jim Starlin cosmic issues when he came over and he took over the book. There are some excellent stories there, but he still never really developed the character at that point. He, he told some excellent stories, but the character kind of remained boring throughout, and which is why right. I'm sure they eventually decided to kill him off. Right. But he, there, you, you can sense the potential that with the right writer, he could have been a very, very interesting character. Yeah, I think so. That's the shame of it. Is I think that is very true, that he could have been a great character... And I find it incredibly ironic that, you know, his very best story is the story where he dies. He finally gets a personality in the last story he's ever (laughs) in, which is just, you know, very strange. Inside front cover, the most exciting original motion picture event of all time. Guess what it is? Star Wars. 1977? Star Trek. Nope. No, it's got to be something that's, that's kind of infamous or you wouldn't have... I'll give you I'll give you a hint. December seventeenth at a theater near you. King Kong, baby. King oh, Kong. Okay. And it's Kong. Standing. I thought it was seventy six. 
Oh, December seventeenth, seventy six. Okay. Yeah, he's. Uh, it's the picture of him uh, astride between the two towers of the uh, of the twin towers oh, with damn. the Empire Strait Building. Yeah, it's great. I love that image. Would love to have a poster of that. But I thought that yeah, was cool. those are available. You should be able to find those on eBay or something. Yeah. I need to do that one of these days. I just find it funny that original motion picture event of all time. It's like, no, it's not. It's a remake. <laughs> <laughs> now, the uh, the character of Macron, uh, not at that time that this came out, but subsequent Yay, to that. Yay, Macron. Doesn't I'm he kind of look like uh, Denny O'Neill? Uh, let me flip back to that. Let me flip back to that. Again, not Denny O'Neill in 1977. <laughs> Denny O'Neill around 1995, say. Right, right. Yeah, I, I can see that. What else? Great. I have notes on. No, I got the doctor Macarana. looks like somebody famous too. I just couldn't quite. Maybe like Joyce Brothers Doctor, or something. I was just gonna say Doctor Joyce Brothers, <laughs> a rather on, creepy, uh, sexually active Doctor Joyce Brothers. On page ten, the uh, the woman serving the giant hotcakes is that Princess Leia? <laughs> Princess Her Leia's Elgar. mom. Princess Leia's mom. <laughs> it's Queen Amidala. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Yeah, the only big, other... There were some big flapjacks. Holy yeah, cow. Yeah, that's what I said, the giant, giant The bake? size of a the plate. They're wheat cakes. She got the recipe from Aunt May. Look at the size they're of the pieces of bacon below that. They're, it's uh, Cree cakes and Cree bacon. <laughs> Cree cakes. <laughs> the the other shot, just art-wise, that, that I made a note on it, because it just looks like a child having a temper tantrum, is the last shot of Marvel on page 30, where he's like supposed to be punching Ronan really fast. Let me see. I, I don't. I just don't like the positioning. It looks like a child having a temper tantrum. As well, I, I didn't like how, how Ronan looked in this. He 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 looks. You know, he's supposed to look like scary and maniacal, and often he just comes off looking kind of ridiculous. And then the top of page twenty-seven, he actually looks like one of the blue meanies from Yellow Submarine. I just thought. <laughs> You know, just just to go back to the movie a little bit, and what reminded me of it is just seeing Ronan with, you know, his headpiece and the fact that they did the headpiece in the movie, and they basically right. made him look really like he does in the comics. Yeah. Is I one of the things I loved about this movie is that they de-emphasized the whole. This has to be like reality, right? It sets its own internal reality. It lives, or, or uh, you know, the the rules of of existence for that reality. And it lives by them, and it doesn't worry about if it's silly. It doesn't worry that you have a talking, tr- a walking talking tree, or a walking talking raccoon. You know, it's like okay, that's the that's the rules of this particular existence, and that's it. Go What's with a it. raccoon. <laughs> you, you're a raccoon, dummy. <laughs> so, how are you rating this one, Scott? Uh, I love the cover. I, you know, th- I bought this for the cover. I, I totally judged a book by its cover. And, you know, it didn't hurt that it's inked by Leia Aloha because I love his art. So I really love the cover. I would give the cover a, eh, I'll give it a B plus because I really dug the cover. Uh, the interior art I like when it's more Austin than Milgram, but there are some moments where the Milgram really comes shining through. Not that I'm a Milgram hater, because I like Al, Gr- Al Milgram quite, quite a bit, but I agree with you that he's also very workmanlike. So I would say the art, it definitely goes up quite a bit because it's inked by Terry Austin. I still think Austin's one of the great inkers in the biz, so I really like the Austin influence. And this being just prior to Austin's run on Star Wars, I can see the progression. I love that. I think that's great. So art-wise, um, 
I'll say uh, I'll say like a C plus because it's not great. It's not spectacular. I don't know if these guys came up with Cheetah or not, but Cheetah's friggin' ridiculous. But no, I'm pretty you know, sure he not, was an existing character. Yeah, it's not bad. I, I enjoyed it. I think Ronan could have looked a hell of a lot better than he did. So yeah, I think I think C plus is a good grade for this. Story wise, um, I'm gonna have to go with a with a C minus. I thought it was just boring. Um, not a lot happens in it. The the dream sequence was kind of just a waste of some pages. Although it was nice to see some of the b- villains that they threw into it. The plot was very pedestrian, um, and Ronan's just Ronan's completely wasted in this. He's he's just useless. You know, they they build him up as oh my god, Ronan's coming, Ronan's coming, Ronan's coming, and then he finally gets there, and he's a chump that's taken down in like three pages, and all he does is give your standard comic book villain exposition. You know, I will not be defeated, and I will kill you, and blah blah blah. And it's like Cap just gets pissed off and knocks him out, and it's like really that that was all that build up for that. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't really all that great. The only daring thing that it did was take out the doctor. But I don't know how daring that was because I don't know was she a pre-existing character in this or was she just for this issue? And is she even dead? Because it's not really clear at the end of it if she's dead. It kind of looks like she is, but it doesn't come right out and tell you yes, she is dead. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm so, pretty sure she existed before this, not for long, but but before this. Uh, and I have no recollection if she's really dead or not. Right. Now, you know, one of the things that I like that you've taken to asking lately is, would you read the next issue? I like that, and I think we should continue to include that. What's funny is, based on this issue alone, I I wouldn't really feel any need to go forward. However, it hooks me at the very end, because it says, next, the Avengers. Mm -hmm. Uh, But can they help Captain Marvel against... The Super Adaptoid. Okay, love the Avengers. I'm getting into the Marvel uh, cosmic stuff. I friggin' love the Super Adaptoid. So yeah, I'm I'm totally there for next issue, but not based on the story. Of but this there was issue. nothing in this issue that was bad enough to prevent you from going for the next. That that's true. That's yeah, that's a valid point. Yeah, there was nothing that made me go hell no. I'm not reading any more of this crap. No, it, I mean I didn't hate it. I just didn't think it was all that. You know, it it just it wasn't as great as I was hoping because. I'm telling you, dude, I love the cover on this. I wish this scene was in the issue where, where Ronan clobbers the bejesus out of Captain Marvel with his hammer. I would have loved that. And, you know, you got the Kirby dots and the big swing. Ronan looks like Ronan on the cover of this. Inside the book, not so much. He just looks like a crazy blue meanie. So, if Ronan I, I wasn't had all... a hammer, he'd hammer <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> mostly in agreement with you. I'm thinking cover B+. Plus, uh... Honestly, artwork and story, I'm giving both just a regular C. Okay. And that's that's based on the theory that this is an average comic. It's not particularly yeah. good. It's not particularly bad. It's an average comic. I pick it up. I read it. I think, okay, that was entertaining. It was worth the 15 minutes it took me to read it and on to the next book. So I'm giving it, you know, story and art, I'm saying average. So right. I'm giving it a B plus for the cover, a C for the story and art. Cover is solid enough that I'm going to say the overall rating is a C plus based on the cover. Right. Well, plus this was something I rescued recently out of like a 50 cent bin. You know, if I had paid whatever the actual value of the thing is, and hell, it may be just probably 50, 50 cents. cents. <laughs> but, you know, if, if I'd paid much more than 50 cents for it, I'd probably feel, I'd probably give it a harsher grade. Like, damn it, I paid a dollar for this, and it was not worth a buck, you know? But no, I, I mean, this was a total like 50 cent rescue book, so. Well, honestly, I yeah. think our, 
I think part of our mission statement is we don't factor in the price in judging the book because that's why we go for older books. Yeah. That's one of the reasons. You know, we don't yeah. have to do the, my God, I paid three ninety nine for this five minutes it took me to read. Right. Well, I mean, I, I only bring that up because, again, with, with the con that Bill and I were at recently and, and my sudden interest now in in exploring more of the classic Marvel cosmic stuff, which I'll be frank, I've ignored all of my life because I just didn't like it. Now I'm suddenly curious. We were at that convention and uh, one of the booths, one of the really good booths that was there had short boxes um, that were specifically marked with the content of that box. So you had there was actually I was amazed by this. There was a box dedicated to Captain Marvel, this Captain Marvel. So I started thumbing through it, but they wanted a dollar a piece. And it was like, you know, that was that was the that was the straw It's like I couldn't make that commitment because every one of them I've ever read is just like this. Art may be really good. Stories kind of kind of workmanlike. But ultimately, I walk away going, meh, you know, I don't know. I don't know that you'd find it for that, but I'd say pay it for the Starline issues. Don't even don't even (laughs) hesitate. Yeah, no, that would have been different if they had had Starline. I would have got it. But, you know, I'm I'm talking this was. between it was this, this was the era between where Starlin had left and before Broderick came out because the Broderick issues are friggin awesome. I you know again the stories eh they're all right but the Broderick art is I mean Broderick's Captain Marvel is just beautiful stuff. I love those issues so yeah and then you know with the with the Starlin stuff yeah the art's pretty good but you know it's you know, come on it's Jim Starlin building more of his cosmic universe so yeah I would totally get those but no this was more. This was issues right around here. I, I think fifty three was one of the ones that was there, and man, I debated it, but it was it was a dollar. If it had been you know fifty cents or three for a buck or something, I, I'd have totally gone for it. But I just wasn't willing to risk a whole buck because I had a feeling I'd be disappointed. So, but, but what if it had been uh, James Robinson Starman issue zero through twenty five for, <laughs> for three dollars a pound? Oh wait, nice. dude. That's what I picked that up. Was, I'm telling you, that was. Have you started reading them yet? No, not yet, not yet. That's oh, such a nice score, isn't it? Great. See, it, I keep telling him. It was it was uh, twelve bucks for zero through twenty four. So and 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 it was bagged and boarded, and you spotted it. It was down there in one of them bins. That was at the other yep. one that we went to. Yeah, that, I th- I I think you got a hell of a good deal myself. I mean, you got a you got, you know. A third of the series for for twelve dollars, and it's some it's some really good stuff. I think you're gonna like it when you get into it. Bill, we didn't uh, get your uh, oh, your rating uh, on the issue. It pretty much falls along the same. The cover pulls it up a little bit. I actually like the last couple pages of art because I think it's either maybe Terry Austin tweaked it maybe in his inking to look like Starlin, but why would he do that in the la- only the last few pages compared to the rest of it? But um, Overall, though, I think I'm on on the same lines of the stories. Pretty much a C. The art averages out to about a C, but the cover is is a little bit more iconic. Or, you know, has a little more action. And I'm I'm gonna give that a B. So yeah, we're looking at like a C plus overall for the book. All right, trying to move things along, especially since you have an annual. Uh, why don't we go on to our second book? Ready. And my book for the evening, the night, the day, whenever you're listening, is... And this is going to kind of be a precursor to... Once we finish up on uh, Under Siege on Avengers Spotlight, when we can get together to do that, 
You're, you, you okay? Uh, I... <laughs> anyway, once we get together to finish that... Get your ass uh, to Mars. I'm sorry. <laughs> then, then we will um, next start the Korvac saga. So this is actually the first issue that is in my hardcover trade of the Korvac saga. So I figured I'd kind of cover it here because it also has the Guardians. We can kind of kill two birds with with one stone and not have to go over this again when we get to that book. So my book is Thor Annual Number 6 from July 26, 1977. Cover price 50 cent, 48 pages. And our cover is by John Buscema and Joe Sinnott. And Thor has had enough of your crap and isn't going to take any more as he stands arms wide blasting pink precious energy from Mjolnir as as the Guardians of the Galaxy are poised for action behind him on his left, rushing towards him, and Korvac and his minions of menace approach from the right. A double-length dynamite from Marvel. And our writer is Roger Stern. Penciler is Sal Buscema. Inker is Klaus. Jansen, letterer Joe Joe Rosen, Rosen, colorist is Glennis Ween slash Oliver, whatever she went by at this time, and our first chapter, and is actually the title of the story is Thunder in the Thirty First and a Half Century. Well, Thirty First Century, in a somewhat familiar plot uh, to that of the opening of Superman Two, Thor confronts terrorists held up in a building with an active nuclear reactor. The Thunder God busts in and quickly diffuses the situation, or does he? <clears throat> in the melee and gunfire that ensued, the reactor was hit and is about to blow. Oddly, though, the glow appears from outside the machine, and as Thor approaches, a Thakum and Flash leave no trace behind of either the reactor or our hero. Moments later, in an unknown place, Thor appears, and a figure in shadows laments that the time probe wasn't supposed to bring a passenger. His databanks tell him this is Thor. Another melee and energy weapons discharge ensues. And Thor appears to be winning when he is unceremoniously dumped into deep space where he quickly succumbs to the frigid darkness. Chapter 2. And they shall be guardians of the galaxy. Meanwhile, aboard their new starship, the Freedom's Lady, the guardians of the galaxy let Nikki take the con. And we have, uh, our guardians are there. They are the last of their kind, these five. Charlie X, the Jovian militiaman, and Jovian does not mean he's happy. He's from Jupiter. Martin X, the crystal man of Pluto. Nikki, the flame-tressed hottie from, from Mercury. Yandu, last of the Alpha, Alpha Centauri weapons masters. And Major Vance Astro, Earth's thousand-year-old spaceman. Together, they patrol the swirling pinwheel of stars, self-appointed protectors of life and liberty. The Guardians of the Galaxy. And they have another member, but he plies the spaceways on his own cosmic power. He is Starhawk, the enigmatic Arcturian mutant that is known as the One Who Knows. So he's kind of like the Watcher, and he's kind of creepy. Suddenly, the ship is rocked by unknown en- an unknown energy beam that causes some machinery to come loose. The team e- each demonstrates their specialty in the situation. Vance with his psychokinetic force, Charlie with his brute strength, Yondo's marksmanship, and living Yakametal that responds to sound, and Martinek's welding technique. And I guess Nikki just sat around and looked pretty. Starhawk was noticeably absent, but when he re-enters the ship, he tells the others that the beam that grazed them was extremely powerful and must be traced back and stopped. 
They head to the point of origin only to be seen by reptilian eyes. A lizard creature calls out to its master, someone who looks a lot like the shadowy figure from, from earlier. He cannot have anyone interfering with his energy siphon beam and releases a swarm of asteroids towards the Freedom's Lady at near light speed. The Guardians barely miss the rocks and decide to approach with a little more stealth. On the way, they discover a certain ice-encrusted humanoid and bring it into the ship. Much like a scene played out 1,000 years before with Captain America and the Avengers, Thor is thawed by the Guardians. And now, Chapter 3, The Master Plan of Korvac. We leave our heroes for a bit to look in on the villains of the story. Our shadowy figure now stands revealed as Korvac. He is gathered with his minions of menace, a lizard man, Gamera's uglier armadillo turtle cousin, Satan in a snazzy one-piece, complete with high collar, a yellow hairless dwarf with antenna in a blue speedo, and a big pile of tapioca pudding with one red eye. And I'm really scared. Korvac directs the lizard guy, Mr. Tiju. Aw, oh, that's such a cute name. The, uh, <laughs> Is he a Gorn? <laughs> I don't know. He looks kind of Gornish, I guess. Give up, Captain. I'll be merciful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, Doctor. He's always such a intruders. cute little. He's a cute little tease. My little tease, you. This isn't uh, Chode, is it? Ch- cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers? No, isn't that the name of the lizard guy that became. Oh, oh no, no. Star Jammers. Oh, that's, that was thinking. Chud. Yeah, yeah, Chode. No, no, no. no that's not him. It's Chode. Come on. Chode, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, yellow dwarf guy, Grout. Grout. Groot? Well, it's not Groot. It's it's pretty close. It's G-R-O-T-T. Mouths off to tease you and gets a little lizard tail action for his trouble. <clears throat> anyway, this whole bunch, bunch of losers fight amongst themselves until Korvac has had quite enough of their shit and blasts the crap out of them. Oh, and uh, Satan's name is Brawl, Turtle Guy is Torque, and Tapioca is Dumug. Yeah, whatever. These look like guys from the, the villains, the rogues gallery of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I gotta be serious. <laughs> they are. They are pretty lame. <laughs> After being blasted, everyone calms down and gathers around for exp- expository story time with Korvac as he lays out his history and current evil plan. He was a computer hipster for the Badoon, like working for Google. Then he fell asleep on the job and got bonded to the machine he fell asleep on. Yeah, that'll teach you. He was now better, stronger, faster, and broke away from his masters and then got sucked into one of the Grandmasters' games, gained more power, gathered together his minions, and now is going to blow up Earth's sun to suck off the energy to become all-powerful. What the fuck? Oh, back on the Freedoms Lady, (laughs) Thor Thor has come around and introduced himself to the group and states he is familiar with them from reports that Captain America had filed. A little more exposition, and they are off to find the... A source of the energy beam from before. They head to a nearby world and are picked up by Korvac sensors, and drones are sent to destroy them. They quickly beam down to the surface and send the ship off to safety. However, they are not all that safe, as a voice tells them. Chapter 4. This Battleground Paradise. The minions of Menace stand before our heroes, and Thor and Starhawk head out to find the beam while the rest of the group take on the bad guys. And we pretty much have a whole bunch of punchy, punchy run, run as, um, see, you can tell right here that I ran out of time to type my synopsis and now I get a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody's doing the fisticuffs, the fighting, and, uh, 
Thor and Starhawk make it to Korvac's lair. No, no, no. Thor and Starhawk, Starhawk make it to Korvac's lair, and as soon as they run in, they are teleported right back out to where they started, and they run back in, and they are teleported right back out. But this, but uh, this time, Thor had noticed that there was a machine that lit up when it happened. So when they run back in again, he throws his hammer and splang. He doesn't. He isn't able to teleport them back off. Uh, back out, so they're getting ready to blast Korvac when he uses super secret eye beam and makes Starhawk and Thor fight each other like pretty much like um, what was that? That Star Trek episode where Kirk and Spock fight? Not the one. Uh, the one time. where the guy was no, no, not a muck time. Uh, the the other one, Plato's stepchildren. Did did they fight in that? Fifty uh, um, uh, lose on Thor. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, meanwhile outside, basically the minions and minutes are getting their ass handed to them, and probably the best takedown is when uh, Nikki blasts the uh, an- antenna off of the the little midget guy, and he runs away crying. <laughs> my antenna, <laughs> my antenna. This will take a year to grow back. <laughs> I need a diaper change. So. Meanwhile, Starhawk and Thor are basically bringing down the house around each other while they're fighting. And um, luckily enough, they bring down so much of the building that Korvac is forced to beam away before he's crushed by the falling debris. And this breaks uh, the hold on them. And they're able to smash all the equipment. And um, before Korvac can come back, basically Korvac's gone. He gets away scot-free. And uh, Starhawk uses the equipment to send Thor back to his normal time and place back in the 20th century. And uh, they all gather around and say, well, so much for Thor's been returned. And to think a god walks among us. So, yeah, let's let's hit the bricks and go do some Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. And meanwhile, Thor pops back up where he had disappeared after uh, actually he and the uh, nuclear reactor pop back up. And that's pretty much it. Um, and he says, uh, looks up in the sky and says, fare thee well, Guardians. Fare thee well. I didn't think that was too bad for covering an annual. No, I think he did a good job. I so think Scott Rifen will be again? proud. What was that? What? What was that middle part again? What middle part? <laughs> punch, punch, run, run, fight, fight, fly, now, fly. Is this the same Korvac from the Korvac saga? Yes, yeah, sure is. is. This is where, what? yeah. I am so confused. No, he, yeah, well, there's a few books that are referenced. He was referenced in, he was in Giant Size Defenders number three because he right. had fought, he had fought uh, in, in this guise with the little, you know, he's got the, uh, from waist down, he's like a machine. Like he's. Right. I a, don't understand what he's so pissed off about because it seems like he could make damn good money running himself out as a disco DJ. <laughs> complete with, complete I mean, with disco ball. Because he looks like the lower half of his body is is one of those a big scratch giant and turn turntable. Table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He is ridiculous. Go back in the house. Yeah, I, I remember when this book came out. <laughs> DJ Corvac in the house. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember I remember viewing him as being a throwaway villain that he had no substance to him whatsoever, and then for him to go on to be the Corvac saga. Was, well, was see, like mind-boggling at the time. Well, he yeah. looks completely different in that too. Well, he, but they do well, explain that because oh, okay. be, be, between here and the Korvac saga, he is, and it might be from when he teleports out here. He goes to Galactus's ship and he bonds with the computer system and he gives him omniscience and power, and that's when you see him now because he recreates his form. That's the form you see in the Avengers Korvac saga. Ah, I gotcha. Okay. 
Because I, you know, now I have not read the Corvax saga since I was a little little kid just discovering comics. So I remembered it as Corvax was just like Joe Average. Was just a dude. A sudden, and he, it's like the day Joe becomes God kind of thing, you yeah, know. Yeah, so I didn't right. realize that he had ties to all this cosmic-y stuff here so that that's interesting and i have some opinions on all that but i want to save it for when we actually cover the Corvax saga right mm-hmm. yeah i mean so because cool. prior to that he was pretty much a lame one you know not that good of a villain right you know but it's and it it, it was i was surprised that they included it in the trade um because I actually got a hardcover version. I was at a library in downtown, not a library. I was at a bookstore in downtown Tampa, and they had like two, two or three times a year. They have a half off sale, and they had a, just got a big, massive, uh, a glut of hardcover graphic novels and uh, such. And I was like, "Oh, Corvax Saga." Well, well, I mean, I I got this with the issues. But uh, I'll grab this, and then when I opened it, I'm like, "Thor Annual Six. I'd never read this. So I was like, "Oh." So I don't really know why they put it in there unless this is directly from where he beams out and then goes to Galactica's ship, which I think that could be why it's here. I, I do think that is the case. I think this is his final appearance before the uh, Corvax yeah. saga, which is about, I'm trying to remember, wasn't that around 82, 83, somewhere around there? So it's a couple of years later, I'm thinking. I still think it was in the late 70s because... Yeah, the, it says here it was between January and November 1978, so not that far in the future. Oh, okay. From, I'm saying from there's a little time in between them, but I guess not. Yeah, because it comes around in like Avengers 167, like two issues. Then he kind of goes away. They, they right. skip about three, four issues. And then it's like a solid run from like 174, I think, up to 178 or 179 is, is, the, yeah. is the saga. But we do plan on covering that, so I don't want to waste too much of our time now talking about that. What do you think of this right. book? The art is kind of... Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, in, in some areas. <laughs> Sorry but it, to interrupt you there, but <laughs> well, no. In some chapters, it is, and others, it, it's it's kind of I, I don't know. The I, way that I, I've long the way said, the guardians think, are drawn uh, and the minions are drawn, they don't look that good. Well, like the, the opening chapter is good with okay. Thor. I, I've Go long ahead. said I think that uh, Sal Buscema is underrated as a penciler, and that his best work was under was with Klaus Janson inking him, but. Mm. I, I don't think he was ever good at creating characters. So the characters that already existed in here, I thought he did fine with. But the ones he created, basically the minions, you know, I look at them and they're pretty pathetic. Well, didn't you once say that he was better at, like, street shots? Or was that John Buscema? Like, like uh, average, everyday things. I, don't, I definitely don't think that was the case for John Buscema. Although John Buscema was not a fan of doing superhero work. John Buscema liked doing like Conan and stuff like that more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't okay. recall saying that about Sal Buscema. Mm. Okay, but but I do I do think I do think his work is underrated, and I think a lot of it has to do with inking. Because some of the normal everyday shots in New York and all the guys prior to that look pretty good, but then when you get to some of the computer rooms and the space shots, it seems to and the ships, it just seems to change a little bit. It's not as detailed. Just to me, I mean, the figures still look pretty detailed, but it's like some of the backgrounds kind of fall apart, and the and the minions are kind of goofy looking. Yeah, they're lame characters. Time. I have no issue with that. <laughs> but I think I think the artwork is pretty good here. I think this is you know it's Klaus Chanson on on Sal Buscema. It's mm-hmm. 
I, I like I think, how. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I like how the uh, well, this kind of gets a little off the yard, but I like how at one point Yandu, you know, they're all like, "Oh, come on, is this guy really a god?" And Yandu just drops to his knees. Here, take my bow. Oh, great! I can see that you are a god. And everybody's like, "What?" what? Dude, that is, that is not Merle Yandu. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not the Merle Yandu. He'd be like, "Yeah, God, him? Huh? I don't think so." Yeah, God, go pick this up, God. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at the baby guy midget. <laughs> the dude. baby guy midget. Especially on... It's baby face Finster. <laughs> the, first, the first page of chapter four. You heard him. Beat it. Looks like Edward G. <laughs> Robinson in baby form there. Yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs> at his age, smoking a cigar and shaving? But I, I, yeah, the story's, it, it, to me, this is almost like a typical annual kind of story. A little expanded, yeah. guest stars, but, mm-hmm. you know, not not anything great. Yeah. I love the art, though. I really like the art in this because there was a, a couple of panels, especially Thor at the very beginning of the story. There's a, there's a shot, I think it's on the second page. Let me see, I'm going back to it real quick here. I think it was on the second page. Yeah, it's that fourth panel, mm-hmm. the oh. headshot of Thor. I I would yeah. have sworn on a quick glance. I would have sworn that was inked by Tom Palmer. It really looks like Palmer to me right there. But I really like this because I suspect that we're seeing some of the influence. Because my first thought on looking some at some of the art later was it reminded me an awful lot of early issues of uh or not early issues but like issues right around the the late 40s through the 50s of uh of the defenders which mm-hmm. Klaus Jansen inked a lot of that stuff and he was inking over I believe it was Keith Giffen but and before thought, that he had inked over Busima in in Oh that ha- okay well, all right well that there you go that's why it has it had that familiar feel to me so I, I really like this. I, I'm not the biggest Buscema fan in the world, but when he works, he works. And in this one, he really works. And I agree with you. I think the combination of, uh, of Buscema and, uh, and Jansen in these you know, older books, I, I think it's a really good combination. I like the art in this quite a bit. And while I didn't have time to read the story, I do believe I've read this one before, if I'm not mistaken, because I think I had to read it uh, for something else, some other project I was working on. So it, it felt familiar. I just couldn't remember the exact details of the story. But the moment that I really liked best, of course, is when they find Thor out in space and they bring him aboard the Guardian ship. Because that that one shot, there's no denying they are obviously going for a, a Captain America. They even mention, you know, yeah. that that this is a similar scene to when the Avengers found cat, but I really liked that. I thought that was very cool. Um, but yeah, that's about all I got on that. You know, this version of, of Korvac, I, I think he looks flat ridiculous. And then, you know, his little monster squad is pretty silly as well. So, well, maybe, um, I don't know. Well, if everybody that listens to the show is really familiar with this version of the guardians of the galaxy. I mean, this is the original lineup. Right of of them, which you know you have Yondu, which was in the recent movie, but everybody else, uh, none of these guys made any appearance or were even alluded to. You've got, uh, like I mentioned, you've got what Charlie Twenty Seven is the right. Jupiter, the Jovian 
Militia Man. You've got Martin X is the Crystal Man of Pluto, and he can wield energy. Um, and Vance Astro was from the... Vance Astro is an interesting character because he was basically... He's a thousand years old, and the only thing that keeps him alive is the suit he's wearing. Right. Because uh, he w- had gone on like a deep space mission and then was discovered in the 31st century. Is he Justice... Yes. Uh, Justice is well, the young version of him. Yeah, right. I guess it's like they did a split. It's like an alternate... Well, I don't want to say alternate time. Well, yeah, this whole the whole mm-hmm. Guardians timeline is an alternate timeline, I guess, now. But at the time, when he was a younger character in the Marvel Universe, I remember he was introduced prior to him becoming an astronaut. And I guess it is still possible that the Justice character could go off into space. I can't remember if they... Past the time frame, you know, because it has the sliding time scale anyway. Oh, absolutely. So, they, they gave a year that he left. He left in like 1978 or something. Oh, was Far it? in the future. <laughs> well, the, the only reason I never even put that together until just recently, you know, I, I'm rereading my way through, um, you know, all the, like going from Annihilation right up through Annihilators, you know, with War of Kings and all that. And I'm reading all that stuff right now. Uh-huh. And so I'm reading, um, Whatever volume of of Nova was you know going on at the time, I, I forget what volume of Nova that is, like volume four or something like that. So I'm reading that concurrently with Guardians of the Galaxy. So in Guardians of the Galaxy of, of the era that I'm reading, uh, Vance Astro, Major, I think they called him Major Victory. He he'd come back from the future and was part of the Guardians for a time, but he couldn't remember his origins and everything. Oh. Simultaneously, over in Nova, there was a scene where um, they had a little reunion party where Nova got together with Justice and Firestar, and they were all just hanging out together. And they actually refer to Justice by name of Vince Astrovic. And mm-hmm. when I read that and saw that in print, at the same time I'm reading about Major Victory in Guardians, it suddenly clicked in a way I, it just never really occurred to me before. I'm like, wait a minute, is this the same friggin' guy? <laughs> and then it and then it hit me that, wait a minute, Justice's outfit is a lot like Major Victory's outfit. It's got to be the same dude. But they, they never really came right out and said it that I could find. So I was just curious if that was supposed to be the... Yeah, case. it was addressed. I, I want to say, was it in a Marvel two and one, or was it in the? Or actually, it might have been the actual, because the Guardians of the Galaxy had a a series that I pretty much have all those. That was during the late eighties, early nineties, right? Or maybe yeah, mid nineties. It was about ninety some odd issues, and uh, I think that was. He eventually gets out of the suit in the future, um, and they're able. He's able to stay out of it because, like, he goes to. It gets ruptured or whatever, and you know, his body starts to deteriorate, and then they had to go on a thing to save him. And in the future, taking this off all along, you idiots. <laughs> he also gets Captain America's shield in the future too, right? In that, yeah, in that series. So yeah, yeah. The uh, the the first appearance was also in the book Marvel Superheroes, but then uh, they went on. They 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 were in uh, Marvel Two and One, and then they did a little run in the Defenders. Right. Before they guessed it in the Avengers and they got their own series around the same time. They started with that in Marvel Presents, I think, and then went on to an actual series of their own. But they had they had gone into the whole thing with the Vance Astrovic character. And uh in fact in the Defenders series he meets himself oh, as a young as a young okay. boy and uh but doesn't reveal that, you know, he's the same person. Mm-hmm. But, uh, One last overall, question. I'm sorry. Uh, go I'm ahead. 
Well, one last question here. Um, if you look on, damn it, these pages aren't numbered. No, I but know. But if you it's... look in the in the CBR is what I'm looking at here. You look in the CBR. This is page 28, top panel. What the hell is going on with Corvax cowl? It's all screwed up, and it reminds me of like when Charlie Brown had to make his own Halloween costume, and he kept cutting holes out of it, and he winds <laughs> up with like 15 holes, but none of them actually match oh. up to where his eyes are. What what is going on with that? Did he have like an accident with the scissors while he was making his costume or something? Well, he well he's only got one eye, and maybe he was trying to trim that eyebrow, and it just didn't. Oh, you know. all right. Yeah. Got he's got no death perception. <laughs> <laughs> he's lucky he didn't take his eye out. The other eye out. Yeah, that's how he lost the first one, I guess. Yeah. Ow! He was he was Ow. running with scissors. He was running with space scissors and took his eye out. The uh, the Satan character looks very similar to the cheetah character from the last book. <laughs> yeah, he does. Just a different color scheme, but otherwise he's very similar. It's and uh, we have Tapioca Man got frozen. I like him. Now he's frozen Tapioca. The- <laughs> The uh, iguana guy looks kind of like. Do you remember the Power Records one when Spider-Man fights the lizard men? All right, yeah. He looks like the head lizard from that. And that other guy, the turtle armadillo, whatever the hell that is. Jesus, <laughs> Get Dude, these guys suck. <laughs> you got baby Fark McGee's axe gets his antennas blasted <laughs> off. Uh, I'm I'm thinking. Well, Bill, it's your book. What's your rating? Uh, well, other than the fact that this is you know going to lead into something bigger, the story is you know like we said, it's just a big annual with a lot of guest stars, and I, I mean it it tells a story. It's nothing fantastic. I'm going to give it a C. Going by your your grading, that does you know, is it a great book? Is it a bad book? Is it an average book? And I'd say that. The story is average. I I like I like the cover, although it's you know kind of. Yeah, I hate to keep using the word iconic, but for this time frame, you know, you've got the, you know, the uh, Thor in the He-Man shot. I have the power. <laughs> With everybody that's going to be in it, guest starring behind him. Um, I'd give the cover a C plus to a B minus, and the interior art. Uh, I'm going to give it a B plus. I mean, it's good. It, it 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 falters a little bit with some of the space stuff, but but most of the figures. I mean, there's a lot of good shots of Thor. I like when he's being thought out, and then he's got that. You they really convey the weariness of when he's waking up. Good. Um, so overall, uh, for the whole book, I'm going to give it. A B is where I'm going to put it at. How about you, Scott? Well, like I say, I, I didn't have a chance to, to reread the story, so I, I can't really comment on the story itself. Um, art-wise, I, I really dig the art in this. I, I would give it, a, I'd say, a C+. It, it's not my preferred art style, but I really enjoy it quite a bit, so I, I liked that. The cover... Eh, I thought the cover was a little a little pedestrian, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it's functional and all that, um, but it wasn't it wasn't terribly dynamic either. It just it, it kind of looks like I don't know. It, it looks like your standard annual cover, if you know what I mean. So it didn't exactly uh, reach out and grab me. So 
eh, I don't know, a, a C. It's not bad, but it's, you know, it's not great either. Um, and that, that's about it. Without actually reading the story, I, I don't really want to grade the, the overall book. So, yeah, C All plus right. for the art and C for the, for the cover. All right, I'm going to say I agree with Bill 100%. The story is a C. It's just average. Nothing so great, nothing so bad. Uh, the artwork, in, interior artwork, I really like. I love the combo of Sal Buscema and Klaus Janssen. I think they really work well together. And although I don't like the uh, the minions and, and their look, I'm still going to give the art a B plus. <clears throat> Could have been an A if they had uh, if it had been even more solid. But the cover. I'm going to go a step from even from where you were, Scott. I think I think Bill is right that they're shooting for iconic. They're trying to come up with an image that that's almost like a poster image, and the way it's actually rendered, I think it fails miserably. I think each individual character doesn't really show anything to speak of. I think the layout is poor to the point where at the bottom they just had to throw a little futurescape because they couldn't even figure out what to put there to make it look interesting. Right. Uh, so I'm giving the cover a D because I, I think it actually mm. fails. Uh, and overall, I'm giving the book, uh, really, on the basis of the artwork carrying it, I'm giving it a C plus. Cool. All right, and we're getting a little late, so I'm going to run right into my book, if you guys don't mind. Sure. And I'm a little surprised that when we picked our books, you know, because we did pick them all independently of each other, that somehow I ended up with the most recent book. Uh, and it's from uh, October of 1979. It's yeah, Marvel's that's recent. Um, yeah, really. I'm- I'm surprised that none of us went with um, the later Guardians issues in um, the 90s. Yeah, that I still was kind of falls in our, you know, I mean, I mean, guess being that this was a coattails one, we could have even I thought maybe Scott was going to bring some of the Guardian stuff that he had been reading. That's recent. <laughs> but really, none of the stuff we did is ties into the movie. <laughs> I thought he might. And that was one of the reasons that I said, OK, let me go more old school, because I, I actually thought you both might go more recent. And I thought I might be the one who's put, picking out the book that, that shows the old Guardians. Uh, but apparently uh, I miscalculated <laughs> a bit. But I picked Marvel Team Up number 86, which featured Spider-Man and the Guardians. And it's, again, October of 1979. The cover price was 40 cents. Covers by Bob McCloud. It shows a roof scene, and it's at an angle looking slightly downward, and we see Spider-Man being blasted by Starhawk, and Martin X is running towards him, and Spider-Man is kind of falling off the roof, and he's simultaneously using his web shooter to snag a gun from Nikki's hand. The squirt gun. Hmm? Space squirt gun. Squirt gun, yeah. Space squirt gun. Space squirt gun. It shoots (laughs) jelly. (laughs) And uh, I lost my issue, sorry. Uh, The story is titled Story of the Year. It's written by Chris Claremont and Alan Brodsky. I'm not familiar with Alan Brodsky. I wonder if there's a relationship to Sal Brodsky. Uh, Penciled and inked by Bob McLeod. Colored by G. Russos. Lettered by Joe Rosen. And edited by Al Milgram. Uh, The story opens with Spider-Man climbing the side of the Deterrence Research Corporation Tower which was founded by supervillain Moses Magnum, and he's presumed dead after his most recent appearance in X-Men number 119. Spider-Man is following up on some rumors that he's heard that a big illegal operation is ongoing in the uh, building. He's acting as a peeping Tom, or or a peeping Peter, if you will, uh, and spots a journalism student, Lawrence Whittier Reynolds III, 
who is investigating the same rumors. Uh, Lawrence hears some uh, someone approaching the room he's in and hides in a conveniently located closet because there's closets in every office building, in every room. Uh, two men enter the room. One of them is a renegade NASA scientist and the other is Moses Magnum's successor as the head of the company. Lawrence learns that the company is planning a space shot to a place called Dry Dock, which happens to be the headquarters of the Guardians, who at this point are stranded in our time period. Uh, that Dry Dock is orbiting the Earth and it's loaded with scientific and military hardware that they plan on raiding and grabbing. As as, La uh, excuse me, as Lawrence is gathering information after those two leave, he's approached from behind by Martin X, and Lawrence spins around and takes a picture of him. Uh, before anything else, else can happen, an alarm goes off and Martin X bolts from the room. He calls to Starhawk to pull him up, which he does with a rope. Once there, he meets up with fellow Guardian Starhawk and Nikki, and those are the only three, star the only three Guardians that are in this book. So again, nobody from the current movie. He tells him that he's learned of a plan of the plan to assault Dry Duck and that he was seen and photographed. And so the three of them split up. Martin X and Starhawk go to erase the computer records of their location, while Nikki goes after the young student photographer slash journalist. Meanwhile, the building is being searched by security guards. Young Mr. Reynolds attempts to escape by climbing down yet another convenient rope hanging outside of the building and he makes it to the ground and begins to run but is quickly grabbed by a security guard Johnny Anvil Spider-Man webs up the guard and as he speaks to Reynolds Nikki sneaks over to Reynolds's recorder and Spider-Man spots her but she runs away before he can stop her she jumps into a cab and leaves but Spider-Man can easily follow the cab by web, web swinging he grabs her when she gets out of the cab and swings up to a rooftop where Starhawk just happens to be hiding behind a chimney. Starhawk <laughs> leaps out. Spider-Man greets, greets him with a left cross immediately. He doesn't know who they are but calls for a truce, apparently sensing that they're not villains. But Nikki puts him to the ground with a quick kick to the abdomen. And Martinix comes out and he also calls for a truce and shows Spider-Man his Avengers ID. Spider-Man is briefed with only some very basic information and offers to help, which they say is appreciated but rejected. We cut back to the DRC tower where the security card from before is joined by his partner, Hammer Johnson. And if you don't know, Hammer and Anvil had faced off against the Hulk back in issue 182. The issue after Wolverine was introduced, they introduced these two characters, and obviously they've had similar paths since then. The two of them were cons who came into possession of an alien chain that joined them and gave them superpowers, and the company's scientists have recreated the chain and improved upon it for them. We cut back to Spider-Man, who, even though he was his offer of help was rejected, he's looking for the photographer to destroy the film, which he told the Guardians he would do. He's quickly attacked and knocked out by Hammer and Anvil, when because now they're superpowered because they have their chain back, and he wakes with his hands and feet shackled and isn't able to break out. As they get ready to remove his mask, the Guardians burst in, apparently deciding that the whole stealth thing is no longer a priority. Nikki is attacked by Hammer and Anvil, but able to shoot Spider-Man's shackles and free him. Battle ensues, and Starhawk realizes that the chain between Hammer and Anvil is the key to their strength. Martinix uses his abilities to harness heat and cold through his crystal body, 
to lower the temperature of the chain towards absolute zero, and Spider-Man follows up, that up by pulling on it with his webbing, causing it to shatter. They, that reverts them to normal humans, and they're quickly subdued. The heroes speak expositorily for a little while, and the Guardians depart, at which point Spider-Man meets up with the young journalism student and destroys his film. He leaves as the student is swearing revenge, uh, and he eventually gets the symbiote and becomes Eddie Brock. No, no, that doesn't. Uh, I don't think we ever see our young student again, but he did swear revenge. Revenge! I mean, uh, I I, I hate to say this because I feel like I'm becoming a broken record, but I feel like this issue is almost the defining uh, characteristic of a C book. It's an average story. Mm. The artwork is kind of average. There's nothing about it that really stands out, but there's nothing about it that's terrible either. It's an okay read. Uh, It's all right. That's about it. I don't know if you guys would feel differently about it or not. Now, Hammer and Anvil, I swear I just either flipped through a book recently, like recently, with a book that's been out the past couple months, that they were in it, and they they had the chain back on, and... The chain was broken and they died wow. because because they had like a symbiotic life force going when when it was broke. I don't know. I'm, I'm, do you do you recall seeing them in anything recently? Either of you? I don't. Hmm. No. I mean, but I know I've seen these two guys with this chain and they get in a fight with somebody and the chain gets broken and I think they actually just drop dead. Are they the guys? From uh, it's either the issue before or the issue after the full appearance of Wolverine in Incredible Hulk. Are they the same guys that fight the Hulk? Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought I said that. Yeah, you did. I'm sorry. (laughs) I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. That makes me feel good. Well, is that uh... that's before this though, right? Yeah, that would be. Well, I don't know. Seventy nine yeah. is that before this or after this? It's before this. It, it, it's in before. fact, there's even a footnote to it in this story. Okay, but is that where the where the thing gets broken that you're talking about, yeah, or is that, that in no? Oh, that's more oh, modern oh, day. You're saying what I saw. It, what I've seen is something that was modern day that had these two guys in it, and the chain gets the the chain gets snapped, and they and I I believe they die. What I recall, and I could have swore it was a modern. Yeah. You know, now that you that sounds very that wasn't in the Punisher or something like 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 Punisher War Journal or something like that. Uh, hold on, I'm looking up Wikipedia on Hammer and Anvil. I'm, I'm looking. I'm, I have them. I have them punched up right now on the Marvel database, and mm-hmm. they mention Hammer and Anvil hired as field operatives by the Deterrence Research Corporation, which is this issue. Then it says they also encountered the freaks. Hammer and Lured Angel kidnapped. The Lured into the Nevada desert to fight the Hulk, Hammer was shot through the head with an explosive bullet by the scourge of the underworld disguised as a Native American shaman. Oh, okay, I remember this. Oh, okay. All right, so it was it. Yeah, linked by the Sithicon to his dead uh, ally, Anvil soon uh, died soon afterwards. What and that issue says that's is Mar- that? Marvel that Fanfare, happened? number 29, which is in yes. 1986. Yes, oh, that, that's right. that's the that's that one that's all splash pages by Burn, isn't it? Oh, maybe that. Okay, that was maybe oh, I was reading something Burn, and that was in in there, and it, maybe I just happened to read it recently, and see. I thought it was. Recent. I, I have that issue punched up right now. It's penciled by Al Milgram. 
Oh, it is? Or, or, well, wait a minute, hold it. That's oh, editorial. Okay, no, no, no. Uh, no, it looks like... I don't know which story it is. There's, there's a couple of different stories. I'm not sure now. I'm trying to think what's what's the all burn. Okay, it's called it's called a terrible thing to waste is the story that they're in, and I'm punching that up right now. Marvel fanfare, yeah, Marvel fanfare twenty nine. That's the one with the Hulk raging on the cover by Burn, and then inside it's all, um, what you call it, all splash Single pages, pages by Burn, yeah. and I don't even think there's any dialogue for most of it. And he finds an old Indian man out in the desert, and he's going to smash him flat. And the guy raises his hand and says, friend, and stops Hulk. And then oh, okay. I don't remember where the hell Han- uh, Hammer and Anvil come into that story. But, yeah, I remember because the old man turns out to be the scourge of the underworld. And he, um, yeah, he does something. I guess he shoots Hammer, according to this. Shoots him in the head with an explosive bullet, it says. Ooh, and then Anvil dies because of that, because they're linked together. But, you know, Bill, yeah. com- by comparison to the stories we're reading, that is modern day. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, once you said that, that's... Uh, see, I thought it involved the Hulk. That's what I was trying to say, is I, I, I knew it involved, involved the Hulk anyway. Mm. And I was wondering if it was the, the older story. I knew I wasn't crazy. Mm. All right, never mind. <laughs> not crazy, <laughs> not crazy. <laughs> what do you guys think of this though? What, what's your uh, overall I like the opening shot uh, of Spider-Man on the wall. Yeah, that's not bad. You know, it's, he's he's got he's hanging on by the, his feet and and one hand. Peeking I'm sorry, in the I wasn't. I'm sorry, I wasn't paying more attention. The reason I missed you saying that about the Hulk was because I was actually looking this up to see. Where does this issue fall in the history of Bob McCloud? Because although I really like the art, it looks like proto McCloud to me, if you know what I mean. So I was yeah. assuming that this was early from his career. And relatively speaking, it is. But it is not like the first thing. I mean, he did plenty of stuff before this. So I'm not sure exactly what accounts for the for the very strange look of the art in, in this one. Because I think the art is is, is odd. You know what I mean? It's not it, it bad. Looks funny. No, it's not bad. It just it looks a little, a little weird. Some of the characters look a little doughy, and I wasn't sure exactly. So, in some instances, it actually reminds me of uh, of like Charlton comics, because you look on mm. page. Which page is this here? It's page. Well, it's the next to last page, seventeen, where he's shaking, where Spider Man is shaking hands with Starfire. And everything in that panel looks like McCloud, except Spider-Man. He's he's too short and he's a little doughy looking, and so it, it has a, a slightly like I, I'm a new up and coming artist feel to it. But again, this is weird because this is not McCloud at the beginning of his career. This is, you know, when he's been around a couple of years and worked on some big profile books by this point. So it just it's a little bit odd. Maybe it's maybe it's a product of him inking himself. Uh, yeah, I wondered that too. Yeah. yeah, you know when when Nikki is jumping over the side of the building, you can practically see camel toe. Ooh, where is that? Uh, page seven of the story. Page seven. Is her hair on fire? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's stupid. Makes you wonder <laughs> if it's 
Makes you wonder if it's... Never mind. I was going to make a very crude joke. <laughs> if the carpet matched the drapes. <laughs> Old fire crotch. Fire in the hole. <laughs> ah, it burns. Oh, you're right, yeah. Oh, man. Which page? Yeah, she must go through underwear like crazy. <laughs> Asbestos underwear. <laughs> All right, before we get super crude, cruder... Yes. How does Martinex wipe his ass, I want to know. I'm not sure Martinex has anything that comes out of there. He he craps diamonds. (laughs) Pink, 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 pink. And and craps thunder. (laughs) Pisses diamonds and craps thunder. (laughs) You know, it's a tomorrow rock. (laughs) It'd be awesome if Burgess Meredith could play Martin X in the next movie if he was still around. That would be difficult. <laughs> I don't know. There's probably enough audio out there that you could piece something together. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 